On this edition, the 28th episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we'll talk to right-hander Ryan Selmer about everything from his summer in the Cape Cod League to his favorite Star Wars character. Plus, we break down Maryland's eight-game winning streak with Maryland Baseball SID Taylor Smythe and look ahead at this week's slate of games. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Jake Eisenberg. So the Terps are on an eight-game winning streak, now 9-5, and five before taking on UNC tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock. UNC number 11 in the country. But the Terps, starting the season 1-5, and five, have won eight straight games. And, well, now it's a good time to really see if this is the Maryland team that we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season, the top 25 team, or if this is a Maryland team that was playing competition that really just wasn't LSU or Louisville, two perennial top 10 teams in the country. And to dive into all of that, you know, we're joined now by Taylor Smythe, Jake Eisenberg here, and it's always good to talk to you, Taylor. Absolutely, Jake. Good to be here. I always like coming on the podcast when I get the opportunity. It's a good time. We kind of mentioned that we have these conversations all the time, but not necessarily on the air or, or recorded in a manner of speaking. So it's good to give people an inside look at the inside discussions that we have. Sure. As much as I'm sure people uh, can, the level of care they have about what we think, uh, there is something to <laughs> sort of being with the team all the time. I think you get a little bit of a different grasp of of what's going on. But yeah, it's something we talk about a lot, sort of analyzing when you're around the team and you go to all the games. I mean, that's sort of what you end up talking about before and after the game um, until you and I uh, go, you know, go watch something else on TV or do whatever. Um, so it's definitely uh, good to sort of talk about it here. So I'll pose the question again to you that, you know, I just kind of mentioned Maryland playing two top five teams in the first couple of weekends of the season, Louisville now number one in the last D1 baseball rankings. And four of Maryland's five losses have come against LSU, three of them. And one of them against Louisville. The only loss that wasn't against those top 10 teams was against Ball State, and that was the first game of the season. Not necessarily saying that you can write that off as something that's fine because Ball State, you know, is a team that Maryland should beat. But it was the first game of the season, and, you know, you can write it off as, you know, maybe a little bit of rust, maybe things not clicking. But I guess what I'm getting at is are we seeing the real Maryland team that we saw, you know, against William Mary, St. Joseph's in this past week and against Bryant? I think you're definitely seeing sort of a little bit of both, but probably closer to what the real Maryland team's potential is. And I say that because guys are really playing to where their talent level is at this point, sort of during this eight-game run, as opposed to that first seven games. The other part of that is I think that the mentality and the energy about the team is a little bit different. I know the guys talked about sort of reassessing after those first six games, um, sort of talking amongst themselves about where they wanted this team to go. And, and a lot of that has, you, that you can be seen, even when you're in the crowd at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium, is the energy in the dugout. I know um, people might not think that's important, but we heard John Sheff talk after the series, and Kerry um, sort of questioned about that aspect. He said, college baseball isn't like professional baseball. You know, professional baseball, everybody get, goes and does their individual jobs, does what they have to do. College baseball, everybody has to sort of pick each other up as you're going through a long season. I think that Maryland's done that this year a little bit better than they did last year, so they have that going for them. Um, but... I think what it comes down to it is you've seen over, the, especially the, f the two weekends, is good starting pitching. We always talk about how good starting pitching can determine sort of how a game goes and how the bullpen uh, fills out and how the you know the hitter's confidence comes from trying to um, get runs behind a good start. And Maryland's three starting pitchers, Brian Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, and Tyler Blome, in the weekend have been fantastic, especially this weekend against Bryant where they shut down a very talented mid-major club. Now, the midweek is a little bit different. That was more attributable attributable for the bullpen. But I think if you asked head coach Ryan Fecto, well, he doesn't want bad starts, obviously, from guys like Hunter Parsons, Cam Ag. Having the bullpen come in 
and sort of hold those games together as the offense charged back in both um, games, I think is going to be good for Maryland in the long run. Guys like Ryan Hill, guys like Taylor Styles, Mike Grissino, making big pitches in big spots, and then the obvious emergence of Andrew Miller, who's just spectacular this weekend against Bryant. Um, so I think we're seeing what's closer to the real Maryland team, and I know we can delve more into the offense um, with the you know the new focus on stealing and the and the uh, on base percentage that leads the Big Ten. But I think this is really more what we're going to see for the rest of the season, as opposed to what we saw in the first six games, obviously aided by the tough schedule. Uh, well, I think I think when you when you mention the bullpen, the thing that stands out to me, and I've mentioned this statistic on air, and it continues to grow in how. I, relatively amazing it is that the first 20 innings that the bullpen pitched this season, they gave up 26 earned runs. And then since then, it's been about, I think, by my count, 31 innings, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. But 30-plus innings since then, they've allowed just three earned runs. That goes back to the Sunday game against LSU after Ryan Selmer exited. So the final few innings of that ball game plus the last two weeks. And that turnaround in itself, I think, is not necessarily something you might have not have, you might not have expected that certainly after seeing the first couple weekends, but I think you're right. It was the emergence of guys like Jared Price, who's been often injured on this Maryland team, who's now have a 1.35 ERA. Opponents are batting .053 against him. That he's faced 19 guys. That's a sample size that's big enough to say he's doing something right. You look at other relievers. Ryan Summers been shut down. He only had one bad outing, and you knew Summer was going to be shut down entering this year. But I think the guy that's impressed us the most is, like you said, Andrew Miller who had a terrific summer in the Cal Ripken Collegiate League with the Baltimore Redbirds, struck out 33 and walked two and 30 innings and change uh, over the season and pitched much more over the summer than he did his freshman year. So got to see a lot more of what he's capable of. And now we're seeing it here. Scoreless through eight innings. He's struck out nine, including five strikeouts this past weekend in one appearance against Bryant. I mean, the stuff that he's been showing, he's a go-to option in that bullpen from the left side, which is not something that Maryland has had over the past couple of years. That's exactly what I was going to mention. Maryland hasn't really had a quality, quality left-handed reliever um, um, going back until uh, probably Rob Galligan's 2015 season. Rob was very solid on the bullpen as a left-hander, but he wasn't really a guy that came in. He was more of a long man. He even started um, by the middle of the year a little bit. Um, Andrew Miller's a guy that you come in to get one guy out. And we saw that when Ryan Hill loaded the bases against Brown on Sunday. Ryan Fecto went to Andrew Miller to get that guy out. To get out of that jam. And he did. And he did. He did his job. So, And and I think, going back to Ryan Hill, who loaded the bases, he, his emergence has also been solid. And I think you have to give credit to um, pitching coach Ryan Fecto, who has Absolutely. some bullpen guys exactly right. that really struggled early in the year. Guys like Hill, guys like Styles, guys like Racino, that I think another pitch, another pitching coach you know, might have been like, okay, I've got guys like Miller Price. I'll just ride those guys. I'll just go with those guys. We'll put those other guys to the back burner. And Ryan Fecta didn't do that. He kept putting those guys in in important situations and said, look, you guys have had outstanding preseasons. I've seen everything I've needed to see out of you. You guys are good pitchers. You're good arms. I'm going to keep putting you in. And he's been proven right. Those guys have been very solid, especially Hill, who has shown a propensity to strike guys out that I don't think we thought coming to the air. I think he has, and you can check me on this, Jake, real quick. I think he has 13 Ks in, in a little bit of, you know, what, three walks and, you know, eight innings, something like that. So he, he's been very solid. So I think you have to give credit to Coach Fecto, who who talked to us before the season about how he's going to make sure everybody had a role and everybody felt engaged, and he's done that. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're spot on about Ryan Hill, you know, because he was a guy who was really shaky against Ball State and Louisville, as was Taylor Stiles, came back with a 13-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio in eight innings, and he's shown an ability to come in with guys on base, 
more often than not and be able to pitch out of jams. And you know, I've talked to him about it, and he takes pride in that kind of fireman role that we've seen Ryan Selmer in over the past couple of years. But, you know, now Ryan Hill has six appearances. Taylor Styles has seven appearances. You know, Ryan Selmer has six. Andrew Miller has seven. It's really spread out. It's not just one or two guys like it was the past couple of years when you saw Rob Galligan and Ryan Selmer each with 25, 30 appearances. Now, I think Ryan Selmer is going to get up and lead the team in appearances later on this season as we progress forward, but there's definitely more depth in the bullpen this year than last year. For sure, and, and the, the interesting part about it is quietly, Maryland leads the Big Ten in strikeouts, which I don't think a lot of people would have thought before the year. Well, for one thing, I'm not sure people are necessarily looking at the Big Ten teams comparatively quite yet because they haven't started That's conference true. play. I just think from in terms of when you look at it, prior Maryland teams that have Maryland set the record, the school record, and set the Big Ten record for strikeouts in a season in 2015. But you had a lot of guys with electric stuff. You had Kevin Mooney, Alex Robinson. <laughs> it also yeah. certainly helps when you have Mike Schwarn. Who Mike Schwarn, exactly. A, a program record 138. Correct. So, But you have guys like, the, you know, you wouldn't think a guy like Styles has seven strikeouts to one walk. I mean, so it's you're right. The depth there, the amount of options that Ryan Fector can go to, and especially when you have five-game weeks like the Terps just had and you have two bad starts, the fact that the Terps survived two midweek games, especially that Wednesday game against St. Joe's, which is the epitome of a trap game, a team that hadn't won yet this year, who you put out a guy in Cam Bank who hasn't started a lot, struggled, had to come out. Then you've already burned arms the day before. The depth that the Maryland was able to show to get through that game and come all the way back was very impressive. It's probably, for me, the most impressive win of the week, as good as that Bryant team is, to mm, come back against Most impressive win of the week. Most impressive win to come back after you've burned bullpen arms the day before. For a guy like Mike Grissina, who, who, who has told us that, you know, Having pitched then, having had to pitch Sunday and then Tuesday and Wednesday, he was feeling it going out there on Wednesday, and to, for him to get the job done and to beat a St. Joe's team that, as his coach Fecto said to me, and is, is obvious to I think anybody that follows this stuff, if you lose a home game against a team like St. Joe's, that kills your RPI. That really, really takes it down. That team's going to be plus 200. So you get a win against that team. It's a very impressive win against a team that I think the guys could have slept on a little bit. And well, then of course we talked about the starting pitching already this weekend. Ryan Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, and Tyler Bloom each going six plus innings, and allowing that bullpen to rest a little bit. Not a lot of arms used Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So now coming into another midweek game, where you potentially could have starting pitching struggling. Hunter Parsons struggled in the midweek last week. Everyone's available, and that's a beautiful thing for the Terps, who then you know don't have another game until this weekend. So everyone will be available this coming weekend against Princeton as well. So it's really been a combination of that pitching, really giving the Terps a good foundation. But that doesn't necessarily, and we shouldn't make the pitching take anything away from how strong this offense has been. And that's really, at least from my perspective, what has been the catalyst behind this eight-game winning streak. It's been the offense necessarily, not as much as the pitching staff. Yeah. You know, they put up 10-plus hits in seven of these eight games. They've put up nine-plus runs in five or six of these games. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. But it's been impressive from an offensive standpoint. And these aren't just, you know, singles, singles, singles. You know, they're hitting gap to gap, hitting doubles. Zach Jankarski had a, a few doubles this past weekend on route to being a Big Ten player of the week. And he's leading the team in RBIs from the leadoff spot. That doesn't happen very often for any kind of team. Yeah, I think, and I think the reason we talk a little bit about that pitching first is just because it's sort of come into its own more than the offense has. The offense has been the steadier of the two sides. But you're right. I mean, the, the Maryland offense has really found a groove, and it does start at the top with Zach Jankarski. I mean, what he's doing from the leadoff spot is something Maryland hasn't really had. Even 
probably since Charlie White, the 14 regional team. A guy, I would agree. A guy that can get on base in a lot of different ways and has speed once he gets there and a guy that just competes. Well, I mean, they're, sim they're similar players yeah. in the sense that they both played center field. They're both speed first guys. You expect them to be active on the base paths. You don't expect them to hit home runs. You don't really expect them to drive guys in, but that's what Jankarski is doing right now. But, you know, after Charlie White left, it was kind of a rotation at the top of the order. It wasn't sure if it was Brandon Lau, Kevin Smith, Lamont Wade was well, up there. Well, I think it would have been – I think in 15 it really would have been Lamont Wade. He just got hurt and then was, you know, just like hitting home runs and doing things <laughs> that, a, you know, a leadoff hitter doesn't do. He was just sensational. But I go back to Jankarski, and he's like White also in the sense that he's just a tone setter. Like he gets up there and just works and works. Like even in the bad at, even in the strikeouts he had this week, Fallon pitches off, getting behind O2, Fallon off, Fallon off, Fallon taking the ball, Fallon off, Fallon off. He just is a great guy, and I think he's the the guy that Rob Vaughn really envisioned him to be, and might not even envision him to be this good this soon this year. I mean. Um, He's a guy that totally makes the Maryland offense different because he allows guys like Marty Costas, Nick Dunn, Kevin Smith, Madison Dickens, those guys below, Brandon Gum, to have a guy that's sort of always on base, and that allows them to work easier because then the pitcher's got to worry about Zach Jankarski on base, and that's not fun. He's got a lot of speed. And, and we'll get to that speed in a second, but just to touch more on, on Zach Jankarski, I mean, you mentioned the quality at bats he's having. That's a metric, I say metric loosely, that – this coaching staff have been using to, to really, you know, grade these hitters and their performance. They're not necessarily looking at batting average so much, but they're looking at these quality at-bats. And Zach Jankarski is actually second on the team in quality at-bats. He's tied with Marty Costas. First would be Brendan Gum, who's not having quality at-bats over 60% of the time. And But Jankarski and Costas are right there. They're about 58% in that quality at-bat area. And, you know, just to define quality at-bat is basically, you know, take it to a deep count. You foul a couple of pitches off. It's, it's a hard contact. It's basically anything that doesn't result in a strikeout or a weak out. At least that's that's what I've kind of come to understand about it. It's, it's a very fluid term, but regardless of how it's being graded, the fact that Jankarski is at the top of the list doesn't surprise you. I mean, he's raised his average to 321, and this past weekend hit 450, got on base more than half the time. He's leading the team in RBIs with 10. He stole three bases this weekend. He's really doing it all. Yeah, I mean, he his his emergence really makes Maryland different, um, and it's really nice to see. It kind of allows everything to fall into place. But you're right. I mean, he he reached base four times um, on Sunday and 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 had a great at bat in that fifth time. Ended up striking out, but had another great at bat. He's he's just been been really great. He's doing it in all facets. Also playing, you have to say, playing a really nice center field out there. Right. Um, and, and he just competes hard. And, and just on a personal note, it was a pleasure to nominate him for Big Ten Player of the Week. Um, I'm the person who ends up doing those nominations each week. And and Marty had an awesome week, too. I think we, we would say he probably would have won. I mean, he was, his numbers Well, his were, numbers were ex pretty much exactly pretty the much same. Exactly we the were same. talking about this in the press box, and it was kind of like, well, do you nominate Zach Jankarski? Do you nominate Marty Costas? They've had pretty much the exact same week. Yeah. And I think we both kind of had the sense, like, Zach deserves it. Yeah. He and he just, has a good shot to and get not it, and that, did get it. And not that Marty didn't, right. because he reached right. base six or eight times over two games on Sunday. I mean, Marty was fantastic. Um, but Zach just, he just anecdotally, when you watch those five games this week, he just was impacting throughout all of the games. I mean, 
uh, and and so was Marty. To, and to to be fair to him, Marty was was fantastic. And I wish they could have won somehow won Kobe Ten Player of the Week because they both deserved it. Um, but it was just an award Zach deserved, and it was just nice to see a guy like that who's really worked his way into a good college player since he got here. I mean, in 2015, really just more of a pinch runner, a guy that traveled, a defensive replacement uh, in the outfield. Last year, emerged as leadoff hitter for a while. Didn't really get the average above anywhere above 240, 250, um, but was a solid player. And to see him emerge in the first month of the season has been a really nice story for Maryland. I think one that makes the coaches happy because he's a guy that just works so hard. I mean, if you remember correctly, we go back to Zach Jankarski's freshman season uh, of 2014. And, you know, off the bench, or, or 2015, mind you, not, not 2014. But off the bench, you know, he wasn't necessarily even a defensive replacement at that point. He was pretty much a pinch runner first and foremost. He appeared in 28 games, and I'm pretty sure 19 of those I remember correctly off the time I had 19 of those were as a pinch runner late in games. So he's had that speed, but it's a good segue into that speed, which has been really the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team. Terps have already stolen 33 bases now in 14 games, having stolen just 28 last year in 57 games. And if I did the math correctly, Maryland's on pace for 134 steals this season, which would shatter the previous single-season record of 123 set back in 2010. That's mind-boggling, just the transformation between 2016 and now 2017. And there's just a, just a different hunger for the stolen base this year. I mean, every time I go down to the dugout after the game, Vaughn and Papio pretty much rip the box square out of my hand to look how many steals they've gotten for the game. They want their the guys to be aggressive and be aggressive over and over and over and put more pressure on pitching steps. I think that's something they looked at in the offseason, the coaching staff, that is, and just saw that they just weren't doing it enough. And it's something they wanted to get back to, and you've seen that. And and the thing I think that's interesting, Jake, and, and you can touch on this a little bit, maybe have the stats in front of you, is that it's not just one or two guys it's you everyone. Know, you look for a lot of teams, and a, lo a lot of it's, you know, this guy has 15 steals, this guy has 10, this guy's 6, and then a bunch of guys have 3. You know, Jankarski leads the team with 6, then you have, you know, a couple guys with 4, a couple guys, I think AJ has 5, you know, even Dan Maynard has 2, Nick Sieri has 1, you know? So <laughs> That was a fun moment. That was a fun weekend. moment, but but the thing is, as a guy, and, 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 you know, Vaughn, I was just talking to, to, to Coach Rob Vaughn, and you know, he said he's a. If Sierra is getting played a certain way, he's going to give him the green light. Despite you wouldn't think Nick Sierra should get the green light, but he wants guys to feel like if they're in the spot to be able to run, they should go. And that's different from what Maryland did last year, where they kind of let the game come to them from an offensive perspective for, on the base pass, I think. Um, well, I think last year Maryland felt like the lineup that they had was talented enough to the point that they didn't want to run themselves off the bases. You can yes. correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think that's a fair way to look and at this it. Year, and this year, you know, the same could be said because the entire lineup has returned except for Anthony Papio, who's now coaching first base. But I think the mentality has changed and rather, you know, rather Rob Vaughn saying, okay, we're going to let our lineup do damage. It's it's more twofold. It's we're going to let our lineup do damage, but we're also going to let our base runners do damage. Correct. And I think that's an important distinction to make because you look at the teams who led the Big Ten in steals last year. Michigan was up there. Indiana was up there. I mean, Rutgers, Rutgers was all the way up Juwan there. Juwan Harris is But Juwan Harris is just a, an unreal athlete yeah. in his own. That's why he plays on the football team too. Yeah. So that's a bit of an outlier. But you look at teams that were successful in the Big Ten and were high up in that Big Ten tournament. You know, they had a lot of stolen bases. Ohio State was one of those teams. So I think Maryland kind of saw that and said, hey, we've got a lot of speed on this team. We could do the same thing. 33 steals so far this year. Nobody has more than six. Jankarski has, five, has has six, Gum has five, AJ Lee has five, Nick Dunn has four, Will Watson has four, Madison Dickens has four, Danny Maynard has two, Sierra has one, Costas has one, and 
he's a guy who could get a few more. It's just that he hits doubles more often than he hits yeah. singles, it seems. He's got three doubles on the season. Uh, or triples or home runs. I, I think mean, you could say the same about Kevin Smith, the guy that's when he's getting has leads a team with six doubles, so not necessarily getting in the position to steal. But I think when you talk to the coaching staff, they really do give a lot of credit to the confidence Anthony Papio has given these guys is really the main person who's focused on base running. They, you know, you know, that's the guy that's kind of in charge with, and that's why he's coaching first base to allow Corey Haynes to sort of do some different things defensively and, and, and scouting and all that stuff. Um, but, but Pappy's really been the guy that's been the main base running coach. And you can tell the guys have a little extra, and they take pride in stealing bases. I think it's something um, that's just really been, more, they've had more of an emphasis on, and you can see it by the results. And of the guys last year, Papio was more, one of the more aggressive base stealers. He was tied for the team lead in steals with eight, and he also had the most attempts in stolen bases. He had 11 attempts, which, you know, you look at it this year, wow, 11 attempts led the team, eight stolen bases led the team. Zach Jankarski has six through 14 games. So we're definitely seeing a huge culture change in the base running from the Maryland offense. And I think it's catalyzed everything else because pitchers start to worry about the guys on base. They worry, they focus less on the hitters at hand. And that's why you have four guys hitting over 300 14 games into the season. We're at the point now in 2017 where, you know, it's not so much, oh, well, we've only played three or four games. We can't necessarily look and say that, you know, these stats are what they are. You know, we can now look at these numbers as as broadcasters, as media members, as whoever we are, and say, okay, we're starting to see what will actually be. And yes, there are some guys that haven't had as much at-bats that are still, you know, have the numbers that are still a little bit out there. I mean, you look at a guy, for instance, like Justin Mars, who's hitting 294, which is already an upgrade from, from last year, but he's only got 17 at-bats. So that's still, the jury may be still out there. But, you know, Brandon Gum, he's got 40 at-bats. He's hitting 325. Costas and Jankarski each have more than 50 at-bats, and they're leading the team in average, 364 and 321. So it's there, and it's real. And I think going back to that and something that catalyzes the stolen bases is the on-base percentage. I mean, the guys are getting on base at a much better clip, and you can r roll the numbers. As you can, the people listening at home can tell, I'm really sitting here with a lot of preparation. Um, but I think 408 <laughs> is the on-base percentage currently. You would be on the money. Unbelievable. But to have it's a team on-base percentage of over – 400? A mark that leads the Big Ten, and it's something that I think if we went and looked back at last year, the separation between strikeouts to walks for Maryland this year, um, hitting-wise, is so much better. They've, they're keeping that trademark. They're striking out a lot, but that's the trademark aggressiveness from You've a got Rob four Vaughan. guys with more than 10 walks. From a Rob, and Rob Vaughn wants the guys to be aggressive. He's not necessarily worried about you know having a ton of strikeouts. You know, the guys are going to have strikeouts because that's the way he wants them to play, but the, the quality of bats and the walks and stuff are there, and that's sort of the combination of what Rob Vaughn preaches offensively. You've also got four guys who have more walks than strikeouts. Yeah. Which is impressive. Last year, it was only Nick Sierra. He had 31 to 25, and Nick Dunn had 25 to 25, but you've got four guys who are in that positive walk to strikeout ratio, so to speak, so far this year. And you just have a lot of guys that just, you watch them, and they anecdotally just don't swing at balls. Like Brandon Gum, I he's just an amazing addition to the Maryland offense. I really don't think it can be overstated. I mean, a guy with that much experience, be batting in the middle of your lineup, a guy that can really bat leadoff. I mean, the way Absolutely. he sort of takes pitches. I mean, he's not a cleanup hitter. No. He did not. hit a home run this weekend. He did hit a home run. That but, moonshot over there in left field. But but I think his addition— He'd never hit cleanup before this year. I think his addition has been interesting in the sense that um, he's a guy that I think a lot of the younger players can look at as a veteran, as a successful college player, and see what he does at the plate and emulate that. 
I mean, what Brandon Gum does at the plate, I mean, he struck out a little bit more this weekend, but he just knows how to work his way around college pitching. And you can now see that from Jan Karsty. I mean, Costas, we didn't see that as much from Jan Karsty last year. Costas clearly could do that last year, and it's just improved this year. Nick Dunn's always had that. But you watch guys like Madison Nickens, who's, you know, has always fought at the plate well, but, you know. Has been a bit of a free swinger as well. But looks good this year from that. Will Watson, um, uh, you know, obviously Kevin Smith is the strikeout numbers up, but, you know, you go back and seven of those were in the first weekend. The strikeouts have clearly gone down for Kevin Smith. You know, he would like that number to be better, obviously. But his improvement at the plate has sparked Maryland. I mean, you have a guy like Kevin Smith, a guy that talented batting seven or eight, well, I mean, with the guys above him, I mean, that's that's good for the Maryland offense if, if Kevin can hit in a place like 270, 280, get that average a little bit higher up. You know, the Maryland offense is going to be pretty strong if that guy's batting there and everybody's keeping him down there because that means everybody's playing well. Okay, before we move on to the midweek game against UNC and then this weekend against Princeton, we have raved and raved about pretty much all the facets of Maryland game, you know, over the past 15 minutes or so. Yes. If there would be one detraction you would make so far, what would it be? Mm. It's a it's you're a hard question. On, well, it's 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 a hard question, especially when you're on the high of an eight game winning streak, as we are currently sitting here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I guess we're in Chapel Hill. We are. We are. Is in this Chapel hotel Hill. actually in Chapel? Hill? I believe we're. We in came Chapel into Hill. the dark. I wasn't really paying attention. Live, live from Chapel. Live Hill. from Chapel Hill. I, I I think the one detraction you can make um, has been probably the the bullpen, but just because of those early struggles. I mean, they've been so impressive lately. I mean, I, don't I think, even it's think the, that would be the biggest I think it's, thing. I mean, I, the just mid- because how they've impressed, I mean, they've the, been. I, I mean, you you probably have to say in a small sample size, midweek starting pitching. I mean, I think Maryland, very small sample size. There's only two midweek games. Correct, and I, and I think Hunter Parsons will give a better idea of where Maryland is from a midweek starting pitching perspective tomorrow against North Carolina. Or, I guess, are we in tomorrow? I think that'd be better. Sort of I, think that, I think they'd be better classified, maybe not as a weakness, but more of an unknown. Correct. I think it's an un, it's an it's something that brings uncertainty. It's a question mark. Um, I think I think Maryland still has to be a little concerned about the strikeout numbers. I mean, they lead the Big Ten in strikeouts. Um, I think at times, especially this weekend, I think you saw in a, a bases loaded situation, Brandon Gubbin will watch his struck out back to back with no outs. I think that's a concern. You want to come through in a situation like that. Um, I think Maryland doesn't want to make a habit of getting behind early in games, which they did Tuesday and Wednesday. You're not going to be able to do that again tomorrow against North Carolina. You can't. It's not St. Joe's or William and Mary, so they they can't do that. I think they've had that struggle a little bit, um, but lately they've really improved most facets. I think the defense is still a little bit of a concern. I think AJ Lee and Kevin Bionic have looked better at third. I think Lee especially looked better this weekend. Um, made a great play in the hole at third on Sunday that really looked like the guy we thought he was going to be. Kevin Bionic had a little bit more of a struggle. Nick Dunn really struggled defensively um, this weekend, but that's not normally what's going to happen. Um, so that, I think, has been a consistent sort of like lower point of Maryland's team, but it's gotten much better than it was the first weekend. Um, so maybe those would be the couple things. I think defensively definitely could still be better. I want to go back to the midweek question that we were asking, and here's here's two questions that I will pose that I had been thinking of the past couple days. Okay. We saw John Murphy on Sunday, mm-hmm. who was a guy who came into Maryland as a pretty highly touted freshman, went to Gloucester Catholic, was supposed to be not necessarily the next Schwarn, but Schwarn-esque in the way that he was going to fit into a Maryland rotation as potentially a freshman and a sophomore. Looked really sharp on Sunday. Yes. I think yeah. he's a guy who gets a chance at a midweek start coming forward. As, I, yeah. as 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 the fifth guy after Parsons, depending on how he goes against UNC. I, I, yeah, I think he has to. I mean, I think you have to give a guy like that, a guy that's clearly very talented, who did look sharp on Sunday. Um, I think you have to give him a chance. Um, 
you would hope that at some point Cam Ank will get another shot um, to prove himself in that role because he's obviously a talented guy. I mean, the summer numbers were ridiculous. So you would think he's still got that in him. It's just been a little bit of a struggle this year. But I think a guy like John Murphy definitely has to get a chance. I mean, I think he's certainly the next guy up in that kind of role. Um, I'm not really sure who else they could try well, out there as a starter. That's, that's my other question. There's a guy who made one start this summer who had a terrific summer, who's been terrific, and that's been Andrew Miller. Is he a guy that could become a midweek starter? This is, uh, this is a question out of the blue. I have nothing to back this up. This is just pure speculation. I think it would be very unlikely, and the only way is if Hunter Parsons continues to struggle, which I just don't think will be the case. I, think I agree. Hunter's too talented and too composed and has shown the ability to get very good college hitters out last year as a freshman. I really think that last Tuesday was an aberration. First of all, Hunter looked incredible in the first inning. I mean, he was awesome. And then I think, uh, you know, a little bit of mental block came into in that second inning. He just couldn't get out of it. Um, but I think he will really solidify himself as the as the um, the fourth option there. And I just think Andrew Miller's too valuable um, of a guy in the bullpen right now completely. for Maryland. I think now, it would the, be now the question though. is intriguing. Now the question is, does next year, and we're looking very far in the future here. Right. Does next we're year. We're in March. Yeah. This next year, because I, you know, Maryland for a few times over the two years tried this with Kevin Mooney. They tried to start Kevin Mooney because he was so good as a closer. He just got everybody out. So they were like, he must be able to, and he just couldn't do it. Does Andrew Miller become a guy, and this happens in college, who's a very good reliever as a freshman or sophomore, and then becomes a starter? Well, it was an, another so that'll guy, be interesting. Another guy, at, another guy that was very right, far away from that. Right, very far away from that. But, but Ryan Summers, another example of that. He was a guy who had a few midweek starts last year and got a start in. You know, the regional against UCLA and the Super Regional against Virginia and fared decently, uh, not against Virginia, but against yeah. UCLA and, and the other starts that he had. But, you know, he's a guy who's now entrenched in the bullpen in that in that kind of fireman role, in that late-inning, high-pressure situation role, which is exactly where he belongs. I, I Again, I didn't really have anything to back this up. I just thought it was an intriguing question that had, that had piqued my interest over the last couple of days. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where it, your midweek starter doesn't need to give you seven shutout innings. You can bullpen. You, you can you bullpen, can bullpen a midweek game. They just got to give you three or four. Right. Especially the Wednesday guy. You hope that your Tuesday guy, a guy like Parsons, who we talked about, could be starting on Sundays. I mean, easily would have been no doubt about it starting on Sundays going into the year, um, and you would have been fine with Tyler Blum going on the, on the weekday. Those guys were sort of that neck They were neck, neck and neck, right. Um, and, and obviously Blum turned out to be awesome. Uh, but I think a guy like Hunter, if you can get five or six out of him on a Tuesday, if you can get John Murphy or Cam Ag to give you three or four, then you can kind of bullpen the rest of that. Um, you know, Jared Price gets an inning. Ryan Selmer gets an inning. Mike Racino gets an inning. You know, Jamal Wade gets an inning. Right. So it, it's one of those things, especially when you're playing a little bit lower quality of a team, you can sort of expand your bullpen a little bit. Um, but it will be an interesting question going forward because because one Once of the reasons you get to the Big Ten tournament, and, that's when you need the depth. And and one of the reasons Maryland struggled to get it back into that NCAA tournament conversation is because they had killer midweek losses. They couldn't. Part of the midweek is just accumulating number of wins to throw in front of the selection committee to a certain extent, especially with how hard Maryland schedules in the non-conference on the weekends and even with this game against North Carolina. Um, so they need to get midweek wins against the St. Joe's of the world, against the um, UMBCs of the world, against the Towson of the world. I mean, Maryland's this James Madison team Maryland will play in the week is going to end up being good. I mean, they're receiving votes in the writers' poll this week. So, you know, Maryland has to be able to throw guys on those, especially those Wednesdays against the lower quality opposition. Um, they can just get the job done, get a couple innings in there. So before we dive into UNC and Princeton, we talked to one of those guys who in the bullpen, Ryan Selmer, always a fun guy to talk to. The 6'8 right-hander 
And uh, he's been strong this year, 2.70 ERA in six appearances. He's struck out eight in ten innings. And, well, he's a guy who's super mischievous, super goofy, but serious on the mound and always a fun guy to talk to. Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, this is, what, your second or third time on our podcast? I think it's the second time, yeah. Well, last year, and we won't make you do this again, last year we had you do the Chewbacca noise and we did a bunch of Star Wars stuff. (laughs) It was one of the better moments of the podcast, but we won't make you do that again. Um, It's probably a bad noise, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It was funny enough. (laughs) But we'll we'll start off on this edition with you um, with a little baseball talk because there's some interesting stuff going on with you on the mound that that you've told me kind of in passing. Um, And it's about your fastball. Now, it's not really a fastball. It's a sinker. And if you could describe that for me just a little bit more in detail, I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, a lot of guys traditionally just throw four-seam fastballs or whatever, but I grew up a two-seam and uh, from my fastball, and I pronate, which uh, gives the ball an arm-side sinking action, um, which which um, usually you know gets a lot of ground outs and stuff like that. Um, so instead of you know the pitch just going straight um, – Maybe takes a couple miles an hour off just because I'm driving a two seam and I'm pronating every pitch. But um, yeah, I definitely like it because it's kind of like a pitch to contact pitch and gets a lot of ground outs and you know, it's like when guys are on base getting double plays and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I what I go for. And um, so yeah. Now when you say when you say pronate, you mean that you're taking your your right hand and you're turning it outside. Correct. And getting, you, and getting on top of the pitch. pitch. Getting on top um, of the pitch. Yeah. So it's giving it a. Uh, a um you know like a sinking action and I'm I'm actually uh I've been able to over the past summer and you know last spring working on it getting it to do different types of things um so I can make it go you know more of an arm side run or I can sometimes or I can get it to sink more or I can get it to do both or I can go make it throw harder but maybe not sink as much or throw it softer and sink it more I've been able to do th- different things with it and uh, what I've really gotten better with over the summer working with um you know the coaches down there is uh is being able to locate the pitch instead of just throwing it because <clears throat> I know my freshman year that's all I threw and uh and all I threw was fastball or all I threw was sinkers and I didn't really have a secondary pitch or anything like that and I kind of just threw it down the middle let it run do its thing but now I'm able to locate it in and out up and on the hands and stuff like that so I think that's something that I've improved on since last year. Now you spent this summer up in the Cape Cod Baseball League with the Wareham Gateman and yep. the manager up there Jerry Weinstein now managing Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It, it's kind of it's kind of cool that you know now your manager in this summer is on this national stage. Right. Yeah. The guy is just full of, like baseball wisdom. He's, uh, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I'm, I'm going to refer him to the Yoda of baseball. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll accept that as a as a as a good comparison. <laughs> yeah, that guy is just crazy. Like stuff I've never even like heard of, just coming from this guy, and like I've never been around like someone that just knew like the ins and outs of every everything about baseball and like he does and um yeah he just taught me a lot over the summer him and Jim Lawler um they're just crazy crazy knowledgeable guys and it was an honor to like be able to you know be a player under them and uh I learned a lot for sure so what kinds of was there anything maybe specific that stuck out to you more than something else um you know just a lot of things um that he just, I mean, it's just every facet of the game, you know, from PFPs to uh, I learned a lot of new stuff about that and, of course, just pitching in, in general. And one, I guess, phrase that stuck out to me that I really liked that he said was, like, the statistic that I never really thought about until he said it. And it was um, it's called the Rule of 68. 
and it's called it's a 68% of all decently hit fastballs are outs. So I mean, it's kind of just like if you, if you get behind in the in a hitter against a hitter, um, and you just throw your fastball. 68% of the time, if they hit it well, it's going to be an out anyway. So I guess that's something that I kind of thought about and it made a lot of sense to me. And so um, I guess the point of it is, you know, you're going to beat guys with your fastball and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's just one thing. I mean, there's so many things that he said and, and like huddles and stuff like that are just one-on-one. And uh, that's from um, Weinstein and Lawler's just, you know, helped me out a lot with timing and stuff like that and um, for pitching. Um also helped me with my uh, slider a lot because um, last year it wasn't really there and I'd spike it a lot and everything like that and he kind of helped me out with you know some posture stuff to help me um, improve on that pitch and be able to locate it and um, things like that so just so many things I learned down there that I just didn't know before and just helped me out knowledgeably and physically um, so yeah those guys are crazy knowledgeable and it's kind of cool to see him I guess I guess coaching for Israel and stuff like that so yeah well they, they do call him the mensch on the bench for a reason I guess <laughs> um, but a couple things I want to I want to follow up there with you on well first just playing devil's advocate you know 68% of the time you throw a decent fastball you know that's also 32% of the time right, right. so you got opposing hitters hitting 320 against a decent right, fastball right. but I guess that's baseball right I yeah mean, well that's a decently hit fastball right so like, right like line drives. But that's to, baseball. Yeah, it's baseball, right. So, I mean, you're just, I guess he was just saying you're you're playing that statistic, but like. But he's putting it in the pitcher's terms instead right. of the hitter's terms. Correct, yeah. So, uh, I just thought that was pretty cool. And it's something that I kind of think about, I guess. Yeah, you never really think of it that way that a batter yeah. who's hitting 320 is also getting out 68% of the time. Right, yeah. So, that was his statistic. He shot at me and it just kind of, I mean, I guess when I'm, you're behind in a hitter and stuff like that, or you're just throwing a fastball and you think. 68% of the time, if this guy hits this ball well, then it's going to be an out. So, yeah. Now, the second part of that was you mentioned kind of your posture and how that was kind of adjusted this summer a little bit. And the guy for a guy who's 6'8", you don't necessarily throw like you would imagine a guy who's 6'8", throwing. You right. don't really come over the top. You've got, you know, kind of a three-quarter arm action. Right. And it's it's a bit of a funky delivery, too, and it's right. been called that by, by some other people, not just me, yeah. uh, in terms of description. How do you think that helps – that sidearm run on that on that sinker that you know right. we've been discussing. Well, that's just my natural arm slot. I've thrown like that my whole life, and um, yeah, I was always always taught to you know throw in the natural arm slot. And um, but yeah, for sure, it just definitely helps with my arm side run part of it. But um, the sinking action, you know, just because I'm on the side doesn't mean I'm I'm throwing from the side of the baseball. Um, I'm getting on top of the ball, but it's just from that arm slot. So I guess the arm side slot will give it the run, but the um, Getting on top of the sinker gives it the, the more of the sink, and uh, my arm, m my ball definitely has a natural movement, but it definitely giving it the pronation on my pitch gives it the more more of like a sinking action. So, um, yeah, it's a little unnatural for a tall guy to throw like that, <laughs> but um, that's just how I've thrown my whole life, and and I just never like really changed it, and I think it works for me. So, so you're a redshirt junior now, and, and yeah. With that comes being really one of the oldest guys in the team. Um, you've yeah. been here for pretty much as long as anyone else had, maybe except for Jared Price. Who <laughs> yeah, that guy's was, a well, he's taken over the grandpa role from Rob Gallagher. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, that's right. <laughs> but you kind of have a personality and a persona on this team. I, I want to say maybe like the the cool or fun uncle of the <laughs> bullpen with kind of all your shenanigans and, and the mischievous things that you do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, 
Yeah, we, we keep it loose down there in the bullpen for sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know shenanigans, <laughs> but uh, definitely you've seen some of my magic tricks and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we always play two ball, and that's always fun. So, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we never – so if I remember correctly, the last time we had you on the podcast, we didn't really touch on the on the, the close-up magic side of, of your – arsenal you know it's not just the the sinker and the slider you've also got some card tricks and some yeah, yeah. you know you make the quarter disappear I mean where'd you learn all that uh, I mean I got into it when I was younger you know I look it up and and uh well actually what got me started was when I went to Myrtle Beach when I was in like 10 year 12 year baseball I don't remember but I went to this magic shop on Broadway at the beach and this dude was doing all this type of stuff that I was doing that I've been doing to you guys and blew my mind away and I was only like 12 so course i'm interested in it i started looking up videos on youtube of how to do it and bought a couple tricks from the store and that just kind of i mean i haven't like learned magic in a while i just remember it from when i was younger and so um i mean it's not that much it's just some close-up stuff that I. it's more than it's more than the average collegiate pitcher (laughs) it's more than the average (laughs) person for sure yeah but um it's just fun i just like you know like fooling people i guess it's just something that i enjoy and now, and now you make the baseball disappear, too. Or at least that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but you're also, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of titled you as one of the most mischievous guys on this team, you know, especially when it comes to the interviews that we do for, for pregame shows. <laughs> yes, you know, sorry you're about always, that. No, no, it's okay. It's all in good fun. But you're always around there trying to get either me to kind of break my confidence yeah. or, or the guy I'm interviewing to break my confidence. Does it work? I mean, <laughs> yes and no. I mean – it, it's worked, I think, on the players more than it has me. Yeah, you're you're kind of a pro. I I don't. Hey, I'll I'll, I'll take that. I'll give it the credit. Everybody's a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I I think maybe it's just that I've gotten. I don't want to say that I've gotten used to your tricks, but uh, the first couple of years that I was here, I was definitely way more affected. It was definitely more unexpected than it is now. Now yeah, now when I'm interviewing, I'm kind of like looking over one shoulder, looking over the other, like, okay, where's uh, where's Summer? <laughs> and then I kind of make sure, and it's and it's all okay. Right. But is that? I mean, that kind of thing. I mean. That's something that you know. It's clear that you do kind of naturally freewheeling, kind of fun. Yeah. You know, as a as a you know cog of this team and a member of this bullpen, how do you think that contributes to the kind of atmosphere of this team and, and how right. close you guys are? No, for sure, we keep it loose, definitely, and things like that. But I mean, when it comes down to it, I guess the whole like point behind it is, you know, you're, you're here to have you're having fun playing baseball. I mean, it's it's a game, you're having fun, but of course, I mean, it's it's also something that we're doing seriously, and it, I mean. But the point is, like, when we're out there, we're there to have fun, stuff like that, and keeping it loose is just something that adds on to it. And it's just, you know, I enjoy it, and I think everybody else kind of feeds off that and, and stuff like that. But part of our, um, you know, we had, like, a team meeting, I think you heard, like, but we just talked about having, like, enjoying the game after our first two weekends. And I feel like everybody was – our first two weekends were just so, like, uptight and afraid to fail and, you know, just they weren't having fun. But uh, after that, we had that little meeting and we talked about, you know, just having fun and enjoying the game and things like that. And, you know, just bringing energy and um, but just keeping it keeping it loose. And that's definitely what we do down there. But when it comes down to it, I think that translates into, you know, like having success, because when we're going in there, we're not obviously we're not goofing off. But, uh, you know, we're just having fun and, um, you know, just executing what we need to execute and doing our doing our jobs and. I think everybody's done a pretty well job of that in the bullpen, um, coming in and getting getting the job done. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, for, for you, sure, you can be a bit of a goofball sometimes off the field. <laughs> but, you know, once you take that mound, you're one of the more serious guys Correct, out there. Yeah. And, and I think you show a decent amount more emotion 
on the mound, you know, after a big striker or something, then, then maybe some other guys do. Right. <laughs> do you think part of that comes from having Imperial March as your, your, <laughs> your run-in song or warm-up song? Yeah, you guys know me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a Star Wars fan. And, uh, You've self-proclaimed yourself as the biggest Star Wars fan on the team, but yeah. not without competition. Murphy, is, Murphy might be up there with me. Oh, man. But not Andrew Green. Green Green's up there, yeah. I mean, Murphy, I room with Murphy in school, so, like, we always, like, have conversations about, you know, the next Star Wars movie or some conspiracy theory, um, things like that, but... Um, I'm hip now. You know that, right? Yeah, I heard so you, you watched them all. Well, you had been getting on me for not having seen them pretty much up until November, and, you know, winter break came around, I was like, all right, I got to do this for Selmer, and I, you know, it was... It was kind of serendipitous because there was a marathon on, on TV. <laughs> so I kind of recorded all of them and then watched them all in a row. And and you were kind enough to kind of walk me through it you know, yeah, while yeah. I was watching these in a row. Because they got kind of you know mixed together, watched them all at the same time. But oh, there yeah. was, I had so many questions. Yeah, I bet. It, yeah. Was, it was a little confusing. Yeah, they, leave a def- they definitely leave a lot of questions. And, you know, but, um, so which one was your favorite? I mean, th- so like I said, they all kind of melded together. So yeah. I don't really know. Uh, I remember. Did you like the new one? I, I did. I did like the new one. Yeah. Um, the 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 bridge between yeah. the first three and the second three. Yeah. 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 I liked. I yeah, liked that good. Rogue One. I yeah, liked. I liked that good. one a lot. Force Awakens was good too. Force Awakens was what's, good. What's What's your favorite? Uh, I would have to say Episode three and then six. Six was pretty good. So uh, the two, the two end ones. So the yeah. climactic ones, really. Yeah. Yeah, I liked them. Uh, they were good, and I also liked the new ones. I think the th- the Rogue One was better than the the Episode seven, but yeah, it was good. I enjoy them. But yeah, I definitely like walking out to Star Wars, and uh, I guess I just they played it for me at one away trip, my freshman year. They played it for me running out there, and came. I think I know I came in with like people on base and got out of it, and so ever since then people were kind of saying like you need to do that every time, and I did it my whole freshman year and last year. So yeah. Well, we saw we saw the gifts of you guys preseason, and you're pulling out a lightsaber. But, <laughs> but also, well, I mean, one thing I noticed is you've got that bright red leather glove, like a couple other pitchers do, yeah, and yeah. it's kind of like kind of like that lightsaber when you pull it out there. On yeah, the sure. Yeah, we uh, was that by design. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just thought the glove was pretty cool. I've gotten traditional ones the past two years. So I figured I might as well go for something different. Um, but yeah, a lot of us were like, yeah, coming out of the bullpen with this red glove would be pretty cool, and so we all did that. And I think it's awesome. I like it. So I mean, as a pitcher, you're coming out to Imperial March. Does that does that make you a Sith Lord, or <laughs> <laughs> or are you trying to be more of a Jedi? I don't know. Is that a ridiculous question? That's a ridiculous. That's question. a ridiculous <laughs> question. Okay, glad glad we've ironed that out. <laughs> I guess if you if you could be one Star Wars character, who would it be? Obi Wan for sure. Yeah. So Jedi, or yeah. we don't know, do Jedi. we? Jedi. Yeah, he's a Jedi. <laughs> he's a full. He's a, he's just wise. Like it's good. Like Jerry Weinstein. Like Jerry Weinstein. He's your Yoda. <laughs> Much like Yoda was to Obi-Wan. I think there's See, a little too many works. Star Wars references going on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if there's going to be a podcast with Star Wars references, it's going to be a podcast with you. So <laughs> I think we're kind of hitting the oh, – the, the, maybe we're hitting the over-under on that. Yeah. Right, may the Force right about be now. with us. Yeah, may the Force be with us. That's <laughs> that's a good place to, to end this conversation. Anyway, Ryan Selmer, thanks so much for joining us. And yes, sir. May the Force be with you. All right, you too. <laughs> Jay Eisenberg back with you on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast along with Taylor Smythe. And now it's time to break down the matchups of this week. That's number 11 UNC. Now today at 4 o'clock, we'll be live on NBN at 3.30 for Terps pregame. And then Princeton, a series against the Tigers this weekend, a team that made the NCAA tournament last year coming into College Park as part of that tough non-conference slate for the Terps, getting those quality wins. And Maryland looking to continue this eight-game winning streak Remember, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Last time Maryland was swept by LSU, 
They went on to win nine straight games, and a win against UNC would bring that total to nine. But this is not your typical midweek game, Taylor. This is a game against the number 11 team in the country. Yeah, this is a tough game, and it's a game um, John Chef schedules to give himself, to give the Maryland an opportunity to win a, a very good, not for lack of a better term, RPI game, to win a game against a good team on the road. I mean, this is a game that Maryland can really put as a measuring stick because North Carolina is an incredibly quality club, one that's motivated after missing the NCAA regionals two years in a row, not something that Mike Fox's program is used to. Um, down here at North Carolina, a very talented group. Uh, Maryland, fortunately, doesn't have to face some of the uh, weekend arms that uh, North Carolina is trotting out on a weekend-to-weekend basis, but still a lot of great pitching, uh, depth in the lineup, so it's going to be a very tough game for Maryland in, in what's a good um, college baseball environment. Yeah, definitely on the road in Chapel Hill. That's where we are right now. The Terps taking on a freshman right-hander tomorrow in Tyler Baum, who hasn't allowed a run yet in his freshman career. Ten and two-thirds innings, he struck out seven, walked two, only allowed seven hits in his two midweek starts, and he's 2-0. and So this is a guy who came in as one of the top prospects in the country, one of the best pitchers out of the state of Florida as well, as North Carolina tends to recruit those kind of high-profile athletes, guys like J.B. Bukowskis, who's going to be a perennial top-10 overall draft pick. He's their Friday ace. But Tyler Baum, you know, not your typical midweek game, maybe not your typical midweek starter either. For sure, and it's just got to be an opportunity that Maryland embraces tomorrow against a, re- a really talented pitcher. You just have to come in with the mentality that you're playing, you know, essentially a one-game weekend series against a really good team. I mean, it's a it's a great measuring stick, especially for a Maryland lineup, as we talked about extensively, that's been really impressive lately. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, and we talked about a little bit with Hunter Parsons, it's also time for him to rise to the occasion. He has a talented guy across from him. Hunter Parsons had a lot of success um, so far in his career early on. Um, and it's a it's a time for him to sort of be able to say, look, this is a North Carolina. I'm gonna line up. I'm gonna attack and see what happens. Uh, maybe you get a pretty good win out of it. And then looking at this weekend against Princeton, Terps played Princeton two years ago. That was in College Park. The Tigers came into town, and Maryland swept them three games. The odd Friday, Sunday, Monday game. Very bizarre. What was that like? Um, it's a, it's actually a little bit interesting because it's kind of similar to what we did this weekend in the sense that we played Friday, Sunday, Monday, and then bust down for a double midweek against Elon. So you don't normally travel on a Monday in college baseball. You normally travel for a midweek the same day on a Tuesday or the same day on a Wednesday. Um, sometimes when you, that was our spring break trip that year, so we went down to Elon for two. This is a little bit different. We haven't done this in my tenure here, going down for a, the night before a one-game midweek. So it's a little bit different. Uh, the other similarity I was talking about is saying that um, Mike Schworn won Big Ten Pitcher of the Week on the bus as we were driving down, so I was doing that, and it reminded me, it was sort of deja vu today because we were doing the stuff for Jan Karski and Blum. Um, so that was interesting, but um, it, I, I don't know how it affects the players in terms of traveling on a Monday. This is normally the off day where they kind of like go to class, chill, don't go to practice. Um, come, come on the podcast. Come on the podcast, <laughs> obviously, the most important thing. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it has been a little bizarre. I'm I don't know about you, Jake, but it's interesting just being in the hotel on a Monday night. It's a little bit different than what we're normally doing. It does doing feel a little odd. On a week-to-week basis. So I don't think that will affect the guys at all. I mean, you're just going on the road to play another baseball game. I think you and I probably think about that stuff more than they do um, because of our, you know, going through our overall lives. But, uh, you know, it, it's definitely interesting. And, and uh, going into going back to Princeton, uh, we talked about how they won the Ivy League last year, made the NCAA tournament. Um, it's a series that, you know, Maryland is supposed to sweep, but will be tough to sweep because Princeton is not going to come in and expect to lose. Um, there's certainly no pushover. Uh, so it'll, that'll be a really interesting uh, series, and it'll be interesting to see how Maryland responds depending on the result tomorrow. 
Um, I think they have to respond either way. That you know you can't beat North Carolina and then get overconfident going to Princeton. You also can't lose to North Carolina and think, all right, now we're you know we're done with us in North Carolina. Let's go. We'll just sleepwalk through Princeton. So you you know they're going to stay alert for a team that you know has been has played top quality clubs. I think Princeton opened with Duke, um, so they've played major conference competition. Now the the two big things for me and the oddity of today is that normally when Maryland travels on the road, they travel the day before the games so that they can practice at the stadium the night before. Yep. Didn't happen in Cary. They played at NC State's complex instead of in Cary, but still got to practice in and got a feel for things. That didn't happen on Monday when Maryland traveled down to play UNC. So haven't seen the ballpark at all, haven't experienced that atmosphere, and that could be something to keep an eye on for tomorrow. Not saying it's going to play a big factor, but certainly for some of the younger guys on the team, not necessarily they're going to be intimidated by the atmosphere of UNC, but it's certainly possible to think that there could be some you know, some factors in the ballpark that Maryland's not used to having not practiced there or been there before. That's that's the one thing. Then at this weekend against Princeton, I think it's important that Maryland realizes the style of baseball that they're playing needs to continue whether they're playing UNC or playing a team like Princeton. Not that Princeton is much, much, much lower than UNC, even though they are rankings-wise. It's still a team that made an NCAA regional last year and carries, in some ways, more importance, I think, this weekend does than this midweek matchup against UNC. Sure, this midweek matchup against UNC, you win that game, that boosts your IPI and is going to look great on your resume come Selection Sunday or it's Selection gonna, Monday yeah, or whatever it is. It'll look great on Twitter when four national writers tweet sure, about it. Sure, it'll look fantastic if you come away with a win. But you come away with a loss and it's not, oh, well, how did Maryland use to lose to UNC? Maryland is supposed to lose to UNC. That's why UNC is number 11 and Maryland is unranked, which some reasons I did find a little bit surprising. I thought Maryland would be a little bit more in the conversation rankings-wise. Received no votes in the writers' poll. I was I was a bit surprised about that, given how high people were on Maryland to begin the season and how strong they've been, but that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But Maryland's not supposed to win this game against UNC. Let's make that clear. That's why there's the such thing as rankings. They are supposed to win this weekend at home against Princeton. So I think you look at this weekend's games and you say, those are actually more important come May than this game against UNC on Tuesday. For sure, and I th- you, you bring up the lack of a practice today, and I think the one thing that helps the Terps from that standpoint is they played six and a half hours of baseball on Sunday. So you, you, you've That's another good point. You've played a lot of baseball recently. So maybe had you only played the one game Sunday, maybe a quick game against Bryant, you get it over with, maybe you f- you're a little less sharp. But at this point in the season, and also having played the doubleheader on Sunday, I think this was a good day for Maryland. Get on the bus. Travel down, keep it kind of loose. Don't go out to the stadium. You know, stay in the hotel, rest. You know, take your mind off baseball for for 12 hours. I think that's it's something that the grind of the season kind of grade on guys. You know, you know, you and I aren't playing at all, and it probably grades on us a little bit. So you can imagine what those guys feel. So I think it's that'll be very interesting to watch. Um, I think the Terps all, or you know arrive to the ballpark early tomorrow, get a feel for it, um, and eventually you know you're just playing baseball. Um, you know, most of the time a factor like a ballpark doesn't really you know, affect the game that much if you can do what you need to do. Um, so Maryland sh- should be able to do that. And you're right, Jake, about the Princeton series because that's those are games you're supposed to win, and sometimes those are harder games to play, especially a Maryland program that has very much thrived in more of an underdog kind of role. Um, it's I that th- kind of blue-collar mentality. Exactly, and I think it's even helped them a little bit having dropped out of those rankings to kind of get their legs back under them and say, all right, now we got to reprove ourselves. Everybody thought this is who we were. We know this is who we are. But now we've got to go out and show them again. I think that's given Maryland a little bit of extra motivation uh, recently. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do this week. Um, but 
it can't be overstated, even though the Maryland may be supposed to lose ranking-wise, how good of an opportunity it is tomorrow to really make a statement, especially heading close into conference play. You open with a team like Michigan, who's also streaking right now. That's a huge series to open up conference play. To beat a team like North Carolina, a team you know is a quality team, very good boost um, heading into the next couple weeks. Because the turf schedule is not getting easier. I mean, real quick, you go UNC, three against Princeton. Then we're leaving on another Monday. We're going to play UNC. Going to go play UNC Wilmington for two, a team that plays in a band box down there, just hits home runs, struggle a little bit here. And then you have Michigan coming in, um, so not an easy schedule for the Terps. And and a win against North Carolina will really sort of restart this part of the season. Tar Heels are twelve and eight. So twelve and four. Twelve and four. Twelve and four. 12 excuse and four. me. To start this season. If they play so twenty games. I don't know when they got them in. <laughs> twelve and four, coming off a series win against Virginia, a very impressive very one. Very impressive that. one. A big win on Sunday to take that series. Meanwhile, the Tigers two and six on the season since they're in the Ivy League. They only started play in the beginning of March. Got swept in four game series by Duke. Then split two and two with UNC Greensboro. And they don't play this game this time in the midweek. Their next games are against Maryland. So tomorrow. Maryland taking, or today, depending on how you look at it whenever you're listening, <laughs> Maryland, Maryland taking on UNC. That first pitch at 4 o'clock will get started on MBN at 3.30 with Terps pregame. 11 from Hunter Parsons as well as head coach John Sheff getting his thoughts about a big midweek matchup against the number 11 team in the country. So that'll do it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Remember that you can follow us on Twitter at MDBaseballNet and also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. If you like what you heard this time around, you can go ahead and subscribe to the MBN Podcast on iTunes. Just search Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store and click subscribe. You can have episodes sent straight to your device and even get them a little bit earlier than everyone else who listens on our website or on SoundCloud or the like. Special thanks to Ryan Selmer for stopping by on this episode and always great to talk with the Maryland media relations maven, Taylor Smythe. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jake. Maven, maybe a little bit of an overstatement. Hopefully any, <laughs> nobody got offended by me rambling around, but it's always good to talk to you. This is a you know, fun time, so appreciate you being here. So Terps and UNC at 4 o'clock. We'll get started at 3.30. So long. <laughs>